Hello there. My name is Father John Harrison. I am Rector Superior of St. John Newman Residence at Stella Maris in Timonio, Maryland. Before we deal with today's passage in de detail, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 16, we may note two things about it in general. When we are studying the Sermon on the Mount, we saw that one of Matthew's great characteristic was his love of orderly arrangement. We saw that it was Matthew's custom to collect in one place all the material on any given subject, even if it was spoken by Jesus on different occasions. Matthew was the organizer of his material. This passage is one of those instances where Matthew collects his material from different times. Here he collects which, uh, the things which Jesus said on various occasions about persecution. There is no doubt that even when Jesus sent out his men for the first time, he told them what to expect. But at the very beginning, Matthew relates how Jesus told his men not to go at that time to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. And yet, in this passage, Matthew shows us Jesus foretelling persecution and trial before rulers and kings, that is to say, far beyond Palestine. The explanation is that Matthew collects Jesus' references to persecutions and puts together both what Jesus said when he, was, he sent out his men on their first expedition and what Jesus told them after his resurrection when he was sending them out into the world. Here we have the words not only of Jesus of Galilee, but also of the risen Christ. No one can read this passage, Matthew 10, without being deeply impressed with the honesty of Jesus. He never hesitated to tell people what they might expect if they followed him. It is as if he said, here is my task for you at its grimmest and at its worst. Do you accept it? The world would offer a man roses, roses all the way, comfort, ease, advancement, the fulfillment of his worldly ambitions. Jesus offered his men hardship and death. And yet the proof of history is that Jesus was right. In their heart of hearts, men love a call to adventure. It may be that the church must learn again that we will never attract people in an easy way. It is the call of the heroic which ultimately speaks to men's hearts. Jesus offered his followers three kinds of trial. First, the state would persecute them. They would be brought before councils and kings and governors. Second, the church would persecute them. They would be scourged in the synagogues. Third, the family would persecute them. Their nearest and dearest would think them mad and shut the door against them. Looking at things from our own point of view, we find it hard to understand why any government would wish to persecute the Christians whose only aim was to live in purity, in charity, and in reverence. But in later days, the government, Roman government had what it considered good reason for persecuting the Christians. There were certain slanders current about the Christians 
They were accused of being cannibals because of the words of the sacrament, which spoke of eating Christ's body and drinking his blood. They were accused of immorality because the title of their weekly feast was the agape, the love feast. They were accused of incendiarism because of the pictures which the Christian preachers drew of the coming of the end of the world. They were accused of being disloyal and disaffected citizens because they would not take the oath to the Godhead of the Emperor. It is doubtful even if the heathen really believed these slanderous charges, but there were other charges which were even more serious. The Christians were accused of tampering with family relationships. It was the truth that Christianity often split families as we have seen, and to the heathen Christianity appeared to be something which divided parents and children and husbands and wives. The real difficulty was the position of slaves in the Catholic Christian Church. In the Roman Empire there were 60 million slaves. It was always one of the terrors of the uh, empire that these slaves might rise in revolt. If the structure of the empire was to remain intact, they must be kept in their place. Nothing must be done by anyone to encourage them to rebel, or the consequences might be terrible beyond imagining. Now, the Christian church made no attempt to free the slaves or to condemn slavery, but it did, within the church at least, treat the slaves as equals. It was perfectly possible for a slave to hold high office in the Christian church. In the second century, two bishops of Rome, Callistus and Pius, had been slaves, and it was not uncommon for elders and deacons to be slaves. In its treatment of slaves, the Christian church must necessarily have seemed the Roman authorities a force which was disrupting the very basis of civilization and threatening the very existence of the empire by giving slaves a position which they never would have had as Roman law saw it. It is clear that the spread of Christianity meant the uh, uh, abolition of certain trades and activities, and those who lost their trade and lost their money resented it. Christianity preaches a a view of man which no totalitarian state can accept. Christianity deliberately aims to obliterate certain trades and professions and ways of making money. It still does, and therefore the Christian is still liable to persecution for his faith. That's our message for today. May God bless you and have a great day.